Hi, I'm David. And I'm Amelia. And this is The Thought Experiment, Episode 1. Today we'll be speaking about artificial intelligence and how it relates to neuroscience. Yeah, it's a big topic, so it's going to be a fun one for today. So I think the first thing to do is talk about what is AI um, and get a little bit of a definition down and then explain kind of what AI looks like in the context of neuroscience currently. So, so the big thing is intelligence. But first, let's do artificial. That's easy. Something that people construct through technology. Yeah. So it's, it's not AI if you give birth to a human and it turns out to be smart. That's <laughs> natural or something. Yes. The whole distinguish between natural and artificial is kind of weird if you think that humans are biological machines which are doing biological things which are determined by nature, but we'll put right. that aside. Yes, it's, it's, not a, it's not a very perfectly defined category, but generally it is a machine doing some kind of higher level thought or at least a task which requires some higher level thought. Right, and so that's getting into the intelligence part. So we got yeah. artificial. Now, what, what does intelligence mean to you in... This I, I think that it is not very well defined. Um, you know, you can have a computer doing a very simple task, you know, printing out a, a message that says hello world or whatever your kind of classic simple task is, and we wouldn't call that artificial intelligence. But somewhere on the spectrum of difficulty, we cross a line into intelligence. I'm not sure that that is completely well defined. All right. Well, I think people have a general idea, like, an intelligent thing would be able to understand conversation. It would be able to solve hard well, problems that maybe. I mean, so, the so one, we don't, one thing we should we should clarify here is the difference between artificial intelligence generally and general artificial intelligence or artificial general. Let's intelligence. clarify. <laughs> yeah. So artificial intelligence as a broad category is something that we we already have, right? You know, you have ChatGPT, you have whatever that's doing intelligent things that has crossed that threshold into intelligence, and we're calling that AI. There's then also artificial general intelligence. That is a different category, and that's the idea of once AI has met or exceeded the human capacity for thought, once we have an AI that isn't just targeted at responding to specific types of language or playing chess or whatever the task is, but is able to be smart enough to do all of those tasks the same way a human is. I got you. So... Something like we've achieved subhuman intelligence, artificial yeah, yeah, or something that's which sounds that's a little different. insulting. Something that's different. A, a general theme of AI right now is that it is nowhere near as good at generalization or abstraction as humans are. As a human, I can you can explain the rules of a new game to me, and I can just play that game. And we don't have AI that can do something like that. Right. Yet. If I gave a chess bot, you know said draw a painting, it would not be able to draw a painting. Yeah, exactly. It, like AI is currently notoriously terrible at going outside of the tasks that it's been trained on. All right. Well, so we have some idea of what artificial intelligence is in general. Um, my guess is that neuroscience has not really made ground on the general, or not neuroscience in general, but from what you <laughs> understand, has not made uh, ground on surpassing general AI as that would kind of the biggest news ever. Yeah, no, we, we have not reached general <laughs> so, intelligence. It's a big question as to how, how soon or how far that is. So, so let's put aside general for now and we'll get back to it, but mm -hmm. as more of a theoretical discussion, but let's mm -hmm. talk about the task-specific 
intelligence achievements that, um, I mean, has been the buzz for, I don't know, the past five, ten years, and this kind of doesn't seem to so show slides, show slides, to show <laughs> signs of slowing. Mm-hmm. Do you have a question in particular? In yeah, like what, what's like a great example of neuroscience of like, wow, this is a task-specific, intelligent um, thing that we've created which didn't exist 20, 30 years ago? Well, I, I think the question that you're asking, I'm not sure if it's a neuroscience one specifically, but one that's kind of neuroscience influenced within machine learning, within the field of AI, is computer vision. So this is something that was a problem for a while, like the question of how can you get a computer to see the way we see, not just see pixels and you know analyze something about that, but actually say, there's an object. I'm going to identify that object as a cat, as a computer, as whatever. That is kind of a deceptively difficult problem, actually, because we're very good at it. It comes very naturally to us. Um, so a, a categorization problem? Or just seeing the world as objects. Like, well, that because, is difficult, fundamentally. Like, I can see a bunch of unique cats, but then I have, in my head, I'm able to say, even though these cats, like, one's calico and one's white, yeah. I can say they're both cats. Yeah, even though the actual statistics it, but, of the image are yeah. vastly different, being right. able to say that this is, these are both sunset scenes, these are both cats, Like, it might be whatever. closer pixel-wise to, like, a polar bear, a white yes. cat. Yeah, yeah. How do you tell the difference between different kinds of animals? How do you tell the difference between, you know, one object in the foreground and an object in the background? Like, these are all things we do completely without thinking about it. And in fact, at the beginning, people thought that this was way easier than it was going to be. I I heard a story recently um, how Marvin Minsky, one of the kind of early AI developers, made this a summer project for an undergraduate intern. Um, Just the, the concept of computer vision, he thought that, you know, in a summer interns, undergraduate interns, would be able to make huge progress. In 1960-something. Yeah, right? something like that. 70-something. Probably 60s. Yeah. But the, the reason I bring this up is because this is a task where kind of, I, I don't know if it's one of the first times, but it's one of the first times I know of, that neuroscience and artificial intelligence have really come together and realized that the fields have a lot to learn from each other. Um, so when it comes Aww. to computer vision, yeah, it's really cute. They're like hugging. Exactly. Um, So with the question of computer vision, it's this task that's incredibly difficult, but that we do incredibly easily. And so... Right. Like, at least for some problems, there's like a delay in the time we think. I feel like people do that instantly. Obviously, there's some delay with our nervous system. Yeah, yeah. If if you show me a picture of a dog, I'll say dog. Yeah, it's not not something you're going to have to reflect on for a long period of time. We're really good at this. It makes... Do you have any intuitions as to why that could be? Like, is there something where... I mean, evolution. We right. need to be able to do that very quickly. So, I mean, a large portion like of the— Like threat versus not threat. Yeah, Spig- being able to scary. visually identify what is happening and react to it is incredibly evolutionarily important. Like, vision is, the I believe, the sense which has, like, the most cortical real estate, which is, like, we are the most developed for vision to be very central. Um, and so it, it's incredibly important. It's our primary means of— Respo- I don't know if primary is fair, but it's a very central means we have of responding to the world. And so, you know, you see a predator coming, you see a fruit you want to pick, you see food, you see danger, you see fire. Like, you need to know how to respond to that, and you need to know how to identify it quickly. So it's something we have really evolved to be quite good at. Okay. Well, and the better we are at it, the faster we can produce responses. But computers yeah. for a long time were slow or just I mean, incorrect. Just, just, yeah, crap yeah. at it. Um, And so uh, this is actually a perfect segue that, you know, since we have evolved so well for it, I don't know who had the idea, but 
the idea was, what if we make AI based on the visual stream in the brain? So that's exactly what they did. They made a neural net, a convolutional neural networks is what they're called, CNNs. They are based off of the human visual stream um, in the brain. So you have the different layers, of, and we'll, we'll get into what like neural networks and layers are, but the different parts of the CNN are based off of what is happening in the brain, and that en like ended up being what cracked it. That ended up being what we you know still use frequently today for computer vision. It's very cute. It's like a Da Vinci thing. Like, how do the birds fly? Let me try and build a device based yeah. on how they evolved. But it's, <laughs> exactly. it saves a lot of work. I think that when yeah. our best drives are when we try and save work, well, maybe not our best. Our, a very strong human impulse is to be lazy. And so a way of being lazy is like, well, will I try and invent vision myself? Oh, I could literally just look at how it's done. <laughs> well, it's also, I mean, evolution has done a pretty damn good job. Like, we've, you know... For a long time. Respect to evolution. Yeah, for a long time, for animals real. have been needing to see, and we've gotten pretty good at it. So. Yeah, like insects see. I mean, this is a yeah. one to Not look well. up when sight was like first evolved or when they theorized that it may have emerged as a sense because, and this yeah. is just an interesting thing, is when all the senses came to be and why these are the senses we have. Yeah. Very, very broad question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I know the about. exact moment. I don't think sight was super relevant back when like underwater... Yeah, like so bacteria. I don't think that was as relevant as a sense, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like pretty much every animal has sight. Obviously, there's like echolocating things well, and then like deep sea things. When you're in the dark, you don't yeah. sight is useless, yeah. but pretty much. I they're, mean, they're, this is a tangent, but they're, they're cave fish that just have no eyes. They're super, right. they're super freaky looking. It's just a normal fish, but it's just it's like because someone forgot no, to draw them. No benefit to them. Yeah. No caves. lights down there. Um, okay, I wanted to get more into your explanation of how all this neural stuff works mm -hmm. because this is yeah. a, 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 neural networks you mean yes neural networks um because for a computer science audience like i just want to take the approach that i feel like a lot of people would to a problem like this is imagine you're just given as input some pixels in a row and they have all the values of color and brightness this and whatever. This is for image processing. Yeah, for image processing, mm -hmm. the categorization problem. That's all you're given, and you have to give an output. Let's just say you're restricted. The classic one is the digits problem, right, mm -hmm. from 0 to 9. Yeah. So you know it's going to be one thing from 0 to 9, but how can you tell? And that just seems like such a daunting problem because you would have to code an unimaginable amount of rules. Like, let's say if there's more you know, coloration at the top left, middle left, bottom left of the image, then you could guess it's probably going to be a three or an eight or mm -hmm. not really an eight. You know what I mean? Like there's very broad rules that we can try and apply. And that's the general uh, approach that people I think would have done in the 60s or 50s because, mm -hmm. you know, that's how we thought that all reason and logic work. That's how you approach a problem. You have some rule, you apply it in a specific case and that's how you do it. But the, there's just so many factors. Like, think about all, it, even for that tiny space. And then we're doing this for, like, the millions, billions of things that we know. Mm -hmm. And the ways that we combine different objects. I can say that's a red apple on top of a blue cylinder. So, anyway. Yeah. So, I think. That's all to say that from a computer science perspective, I would have thought that it would be impossible to, like, do this without, mm -hmm. you know, some crazy Klingon Star Trek computer that, like, yeah. solves things instantly. Yeah, so I think with that, I'll, I'll talk about what a neural network actually is. You don't need a neural network to solve the numbers problem. I think there are other algorithms which have done it 
well too. But a neural network is pretty good at not just the numbers, but at like a broad range of naturalistic images, um, and with much you know much more categorization options than just nine digits. At a broad level, what a neural network is is a bunch of units or neurons, which are all interconnected. Um, or you know, various levels of connectedness between them that are sending small amounts of information to each other. They can have different weights for how, how much they weight like input from one neuron versus another. And usually they're arranged into layers. So it's passing through layers of you know, your, some neurons that talk to each other, then they send it on to the next, then on to the next, then on to the next. Um, and at the end, you often have something where maybe you're like taking the maximum value of however many neurons are feeding in to give you like a final answer. So maybe you have some neurons that are representing the probability that you think it's a nine, some representing the probability that you think it's a two, and the final layer will kind of get, like sort through that and say, here's your answer. It's highest probability that it's a two, so we're going to say that out of all the digits, we think this is a two. Right, so good. two mm. interesting things. One, it's inherently probabilistic. There are... Um, like it could be deterministic, say you have your whole neural network complete and you don't have randomness mm -hmm. in it. You just say it always gives the top answer. Then in a way it's not probabilistic. But um, this is well, this would be an interesting idea to people maybe 100 years ago who would think, well, of course, we can just reason to the correct answer. And that's how we know it's a nine is be, because there's some set of rules that we think yeah, in our brain, yeah. whereas here, it's more of a guessing thing. Like sometimes you could, there really are some images which could be a nine and could be a six, and we don't really know. Yeah, I mean, our brains make a guess. Yeah, just like, yeah, something yeah. like that. And then I think what's interesting is that instead of having a rule you're abiding by, like here's how the neurons connect to spell out, like if it's in the top left corner, do this. Instead of that, you just have the weights as each is communicating. And they do often end up representing something, but that's not overtly stated. All right, so one question I had, Amelia, was um, you, you mentioned with vision that scientists look towards how maybe the brain, how we thought the brain does vision, and that inspired the algorithmic approach. So I'm wondering, on a broader scale with neural networks, is there the same correspondence to where, like, we looked at how neurons worked and then we made this mathematical structure that calculates things in that way? Yeah. So I, I just want to clarify something first. It's not like the algorithm was taken – because I think the whole point is that we're not enacting an algorithm. So with CNNs – and I probably should have left this until later because this might get a little confusing – but – um, with CNNs, the inspiration was the the areas of the brain. So when you talk about vision in a neuroscience context, you often talk about like what what brain areas and what order is it going to? And there's kind of a known stream of like things start in visual area one and they're moving to different visual areas in the order that you'd think okay. for the most so, part. So there's some broad structure. Um, so that... it's yeah, it's the layers, the structure is what was the okay. inspiration for the CNN. Um, now, as for neural networks in general as a concept, I, I don't know very much about the history of that, but I do believe that like the units, the what what they call in AI neurons, were inspired based on the idea of of neurons in the brain. They're not one to one. They're not the exact same thing. Like there is, of course, a lot of biology in the neurons in your actual brain that is ignored and oversimplified when it comes to these units and neural nets. Um, and there are some mathematical differences for how they interact with each other. But the, the general concept that there is a unit, which is taking just a small bit of information, passing a small bit on, 
just kind of in a network way, not yeah. in a line linear way. Just yeah, yeah. a network interconnected is like, with many other units. Think of like a city with lots of hubs, and the hubs are connected mm-hmm. in ways that aren't exactly on yeah. straight line. Yeah, yeah. I think that idea is kind of a mathematical mimicry of the okay. idea of a neuron. In but the brain. a gross oversimplification, and maybe more of a metaphor. Whereas the vision stuff was kind of strict coming from the well, structure. I don't know if strict is the difference, but yeah, the structural okay. um, inspiration. Yeah. Cool. Well, sorry if I got a little confused there, but that that no, helps no, me I, I, maybe I, I should have switched up the order in which I, okay. you know, explained that. But I think the next step is so we've explained what a neural net is once you have one. But the other big thing is the the training that um, the that's kind of the critical component of neural nets that they don't just come to you and you don't decide weights because how would you decide it? You don't know. There's we've we've said there is no rule you're following. Um, in, in the sense of like how you deal with an image or how you deal with whatever your input is. It's not a rule. Um, so how do you decide what those weights are? And this is the big thing with neural nets is that you don't decide as the programmer, as the person you know coding this. You train it. So you give it a bunch of we, – we've been using the numbers examples. So let's say you give it a bunch of images of hand-drawn numbers. Yeah, so you, you have your input. Um, you are sending information through, and then you just see what comes out. And what comes out at first is probably not going to be correct. You're going to get it classifying twos as sevens and whatever, just pure random at first. But based on what comes out, you say, was that right or was that wrong? This is on a training set of data. And if it was right, you say this is this is good and you change the weights in a certain way. And if it was wrong, you say this is bad and you change the weights in a different way. And eventually you do that again and again and again through a bunch of different inputs and a bunch of different responses and you keep tweaking the weights until you end up with something good. And it doesn't necessarily intuitively sound like that would work really well, and, and there's a bunch of math in terms of like how you tweak the weights that we're not going to get into, but it does. You keep running it again and again, and you keep tweaking the weights based on how it's doing, and you eventually get something that works. Right, and this is one of those things that couldn't really have been predicted until we just had the computing powder, power and data to investigate this, like... And that's kind of the weird thing about all this new AI is it's not um, like what you're left with is this network. And it's very hard to actually understand what the individual computations that it's doing are and why are the weights the way they are. Same way that when we look at just a brain, it just kind of looks like a sludge of lipids, not to a neuroscientist, but it's it's like But I I think there's even more similarity than that. When we record from neurons, we just see... You know, we, we can get more specificity with a with a neural net. You can break it up and then see exactly what the weights are. Right. Um, but, you know, similarly, when you record from neurons, you can look at, like, what's correlated. You can look at, you know, which neurons are correlated with each other. But all, all you're getting is their responses. And it's kind of similar. You have a bit more information. But with the neural net, again, all you're getting is their weights and their responses. Right. And it's... It's um. And it's hard it's, to know what that like actually means on a level that can be described as a rule or as something which makes sense to us in a semantic format. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I imagine. So th- here, here's a thought experiment. <laughs> Almost like that's the title of the podcast. Um, eh, not really a thought experiment. Just something to think about. <laughs> um, if I gave it images of addition, like two plus three, as digits mm-hmm. on a JPEG. And it has to guess um, the answer. Mm-hmm. My guess is that a neural net could be trained to do that as well, because it's yeah. really just about recognizing the picture and what the you know the sum mm-hmm. that's associated to it. It's yeah. another kind of categorization problem. 
the but if I gave that neural net some like trillion digit long number plus another thing, like a classical computer could calculate that given the addition function, mm-hmm. but this image recognition would not. Just the way a human wouldn't be able to like look at that and tell you what the answer is. Like we well, have like we I, get our addition tables and that's what we know, you know. I, I think I think that it really depends on how you're training things. Um like you could probably imagine setting up something that's a pure digit recognizer and then like feeding in its answers into a program that adds numbers. Right. Um like that's that's one thing. There's like another a one by one. But yeah. that, that's kind of cheap because that's well, giving okay, it an there's another question that's uh, what was on the training set. Um, because if you have like a two plus two, right, right, and that's, you know, suitably in your training set, but you only train on, on one digit numbers addition, like one plus nine or two plus five or whatever, and then you show it a 13 plus 47, like humans can do that pretty easily, but I think it's, it's not necessarily a, I would, I, I don't know. I think it depends a little, but my, my intuition is that you would not get a good answer from Mm. a neural net trained on that because, it really, like, they're not great at going outside of what their training sets are. Right, and so you mentioned this um, and, and there's the, the idea, sorry, also just to add that, like, mm-hmm. there's a difference between understanding plus as an addition and, like, getting the concept of what natural numbers are versus just being able to sort into, like, the whole of the image, two, and then a plus symbol, and then a two, right. just maps to four. And so there's some ways in which it feels like magic, and then there's some ways in which it feels dumb, like a computer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what interests me is, like, where is it lacking? So um, I, you I would say about, abstraction. Right. Abstraction is the area where AI is lacking today. Right. Um, because humans, like, humans are just good at it, and it's hard to understand why we are because if we are just, say, one big neural network, which is obviously mm-hmm. a oversimplification, but um, a human can do 1,043 plus... 17, which mm-hmm. is? 1,060. Right. And so I don't think oh, wait, that you Why are we testing my math? Let's <laughs> not think, do that again. <laughs> I don't think you've seen that, you know, on paper or you've thought about it a billion times and you learned mm-hmm. it by slightly adjusting your weights. I think that you were taught in some kind of what addition means, what moving yeah. things into one pile from another pile means. And there's so many, like, mechanistic things there that are going on under the surface, which... Unfortunately, just giving you, you know, pictures of digits or sums would never quite get there. Even if it was a ton. I mean, it's possible. Maybe if you gave, you know, quadrillions of data up to some big number, you could do it. But that's not how we learn. Well, I think think what you're getting at is that we have rules. Like, we don't need to practice everything to learn. We have zero-shot learning. I can explain the rules of something, and you are then able to do it. What's that term mean, zero-shot learning? As as opposed to, like, like basically how many times do you need to, like, see something in order to learn? So I could tell a kid of some age, this is a an apple, and the kid will have a pretty good understanding of what an apple is and be able to point at other things and say apple, whereas I, a I don't know how may. many children you've interacted <laughs> with, but, like, your concept's right. Your depiction of children is not. Right. Um, um, if you but give yes, them, like, you can, marshmallows you, well, okay, you can, I can tell you that um, I'm inventing a game in which the rule is you have to avoid odd numbers or something, or the rule is you have to pick out the, um, like, most red-looking object on the table, and you can do that. Like, you don't need to pick up a bunch of objects and have me say, like, no, you're wrong, or no, you're, you're warmer now. I can just say, pick up the reddest object, and you will you will do that immediately, assuming you have decent color vision. Um, that's, that's what I mean, that we're able to, 
you know, just, I mean, this gets into language. We're, we have language and that's a separate thing, but we are able to understand things in terms of rules, in terms of patterns. That right. when I do two plus three, it's not that I've memorized two plus three equates to five. It's that we actually have some understanding of what the plus operation is and how that applies to novel numbers. To I, be fair, I, I don't know how to quantize this, but to be fair to the neural networks, one, we're raised for 18 years mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And our brains have all the backlog of billions of years of evolution mm-hmm. giving us good instincts for learning yeah. because it's a beneficial trait. But I, I think it's also important to say that this isn't an all-or-nothing trait, right? Like, we can't Which either... The ability to deal in rules or in, in generalization. Some kind of logic, yeah. whatever you want to call like it. Yeah, like, the, the ability to categorize is an ability to generalize. The ability to say that is a cat and that is also a cat and that is a cat right. is generalization. Like, that's already a huge step compared to... I feel yeah. like that would that would blow those computer scientists' mind. Like, yes. an Alan Turing would not expect... I don't think he would <laughs> expect a computer to be able to do all that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really impressive. And I think that the line we're seeing is not that, like, we have this capacity that computers don't, mm-hmm. but rather that we are a lot better at it than computers are today. Right. And so, I, I don't know that there's, like, a fundamental difference because I think, I mean... In the approach. If there is a fundamental difference, that's going to get into questions of consciousness, which are deep. Um, but I would say that um, the, the difference is scale, right? Like, we have programs that can understand certain types of rules, that it can understand the rules of grammar, right? That can understand the rules of categorization, that can understand the rules of image generation even. That's, you know, that's a lot broader. Um, and so that that's there is generalization happening. We're just a lot better at it. Right. Um, it's kind of hard to imagine how much better we are at it, but also it was just as hard to imagine, you know, writing a Python program which deterministically looks at pixels and decides which image falls in which category. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that um, is coming faster than we think it is, the next step of generalization. generalization. Or it'll take another, you know application of Moore's law, which is one thing which makes me a little pessimistic, is computational power has stopped doubling every 10 years. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I might have to fact check that claim, but I remember reading that it's predicted to slow just because we're getting to the physical limits of like how small you can make a voltage on a transistor Mm -hmm. on a chip and how tightly you can pack things. And of course, we've always invented new technologies, but my thinking is we're probably close to reaching some kind of limit. Um... We, I think we can grow a lot more in data sets and data size. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thanks to big tech for helping us track everyone's <laughs> data and getting all that, you know, maybe with or without consent. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious what the next technological breach would be that maybe would let us, you know, jump AI to the next level. Because yeah. even our the biggest, biggest companies, uh, the chat GPTs, <laughs> yeah. they're still not you know, anywhere close to that next level of abstraction, whatever I mean, the human... That's that's a good question. If you can answer that question, you're, you're set for life, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I guess no one, know, no one ever knows. Because yeah. uh, I, I was reading about this earlier today. Like, the, the neural network approaches um, were... I, again, may have to fact check this, but I'm pretty sure a lot of these newer statist- statistical approaches as opposed to just pure rule base were invented around the... 80s or even earlier, um, and they weren't given a lot of attention. 
just because we didn't really have the computing power or data mm-hmm. sets to put them to good use. Where I, and they've just kind of exploded recently just mm-hmm. because external things changed. So, And I don't think that those people in the would have known that. Yeah. Because yeah. they're... And that the last problem with it is that it's very hard to theoretically predict whether it'll work. Like, I don't think anyone knew that these were going to work until we tried them out. And then we saw how Dolly produces really nice paintings. Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh... It is, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it is doing something. And that's a scary thing because yeah. if our validation is just our human kind of intuition, observation of it, yeah. just saying like, does it seem smart to us? That's that's pretty tricky. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, we could talk a little bit about this if you're interested, like Turing test stuff and what. Let's say that uh, how would we even recognize that we've interacted with something intelligent or we've created something yeah. intelligent beyond just task task specific, you know. I think I think that's a good question. Um, I think we're gonna have to be a little bit um, vague and speculative here, but I, I think one thing that's important to bring up is what people are looking for when they talk about human level intelligence. And I think we can come up with metrics, like how how generalizable is something, like the you know t- traditional Turing test, right? Is have you know a, a person talking without seeing to someone either a person on the other side or a computer on the other side. And the idea is that as soon as a computer is able to convince the person that it's a person, or as soon as the person is 50% accurate at saying, like, is this a human or a computer, um, then the computers will have reached the same status as people, right? Like, that's the idea. And we've passed that (laughs) years ago. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, um, well, first off, right. Oh, that, that's debatable. We'll talk about that. We, but we I'm pretty sure Turing that. originally formulated as the computer and the person, like, they have to, it's a gender thing. It's like they have to try and be a man or a woman and convince them that they're the Oh, other I, I actually hadn't heard about that. I, again, I, I actually should do some more fact-checking before I record these. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's true. I okay, took a course I, I in hadn't, which. I hadn't heard that. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the Turing I, I test that, I know that we've, we've passed the idea where, like, a, a computer can kind of, convince you that it's a human at the same rate Certainly. that humans can. I mean, like a lot you, of, you don't perform better than chance when deciding if something's a computer or a human. Right. It, it's worrying. Like a lot of the you, – you read stories about uh, – maybe not you. The <laughs> I have read stories about people like falling in love with chatbots and maybe – Yeah, yeah, I've maybe, seen And it's really not only someone – people who are have severe mental illnesses or anything like that. It's like just general They're loneliness. they realistic, and, yeah. Um, people really – it just feels real and you can program it to not insult you or mm-hmm. whatever, not have the stress yeah. of real life. Yeah, so I think that's that's the test that we've kind of already passed, but we don't think we're at artificial general intelligence yet. And so I think that one approach is to talk about, and an approach that I favor, I think I would say, um, is just coming up with metrics of like how generalizable should this be. I think that there's uh, we should be wary of looking for something that is, you know, exactly human in the ways that it thinks because I don't know if we're going to achieve that um or yeah. Um but looking at metrics of like can it be given instructions and then do this? Like what level of generalization are we going for and we can set a threshold? But I do think something important to address is that a lot of people when they're talking about this are thinking about consciousness. Like, at what point do we have a computer agent, an AI, that is thinking, not just matching patterns, although I I might argue that that kind of is thinking, but 
the, the idea goes not just like matching patterns and giving the result exactly mm-hmm. that it's been trained on, but thinking in the same way that we are thinking with rules. That when it does two plus two, it's not just mapping two plus two is four based on prior trials, but deeply understands what two means and what plus means. Yeah, I wanted to um, touch on this. There's this guy, Searle, who has this Chinese room argument about consciousness and machines where right, yeah. um, the idea is, let's say there's a monolingual English speaker yeah. trapped inside a machine and he has all these levers and switches and he's taught by some other scientist or whatever how the rules of Mandarin work. And he produces some output by pressing some sequence of buttons and switches and he learns so much and so well that it actually is indistinguishable from yeah, fluent Mandarin. Yeah, I, I think one of the important things is that he has like a dictionary. Like he doesn't have in his head right. all the rules, but he's given a dictionary is how I've always heard it. Yes, that is much better because mm-hmm. then, yeah. yeah. So he doesn't actually l- learn Mandarin yeah. how we specific, how we, that's the intuition. Yeah, the, um, the modern day version would be, you know, he's just putting it all through Google Translate or whatever. Yeah, something like that. Um, and Searle's argument is, no matter how good this guy gets at Chinese, no matter if there isn't even, you know, a single Chinese speaker in the world who could tell that he doesn't really know Chinese, whatever it means to know something, um, he will never actually um, do what it is to know Chinese. Yeah. And he, like, yeah. he won't actually have that quality. And I think it's some kind of simulation. And the issue is, is that if you have Searle's view, I think people call it like naturalist, mm-hmm. is that you're basically just assuming that humans are the only things that could be conscious unless well, there's some kind of alien. I, I, I want to take a step back there because I think that is exactly the problem, right, right, with AI, the question of is it really deeply understanding? And I think the only difference is that, you know, with humans, we're, we're innocent until proven guilty. I assume you have an internal life with rules and there's no, I mean, you, know, you, you match that. You could be the person who just has the dictionary and you're not actually thinking like deeply in your head. You don't actually mm-hmm. have an internal phenomenological experience. You don't mm-hmm. have consciousness, whatever. You're just doing things. But with humans, we take an innocent until guilty approach. I think you have that because you behave like me. Um, and with machines, we take a guilty until proven innocent. We assume that machines are like the man with the dictionary that doesn't actually speak Mandarin. Right. Um, and just to be but clear, we, you know, to add to the metaphor, he, it's not just the dictionary. It's like also all the rules are given to him and he doesn't yeah. learn them. It's like, you know, imagine some He's giant speaking, table. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't explain it that clearly. The point is no, I, I he tries to make sense. it so that they're functionally doing yeah. the things that are speaking he and thinking Mandarin. perfectly but is not comprehending. Exactly. He's he just, thinks in English. It could be a monkey doing it. Yeah. Pressing. Well, <laughs> he has to have some English sentences to say. But, True. yeah. Um, and I, I think the thing is that with machines, we tend to assume that they are like the person with a dictionary and a list of rules, that they don't actually understand what they're doing. Because but that's the, what they look like yeah, to but us, the, that's the, what, what they have been. Yeah, but the problem is that we can never access the internal phenomenological experience of anyone else. Like, I can't know that you are actually a thinking thing. I know you behave much more like me than a machine behaves like me, and I know I have have thoughts. But I don't know that you have thoughts. And this is the problem when we try to apply this kind of metric to AI is that we, we can't ever know. And I think that there's a tendency when something isn't quite like you to think that it, it doesn't have that. But realistically, like, we don't, we don't know. We, we don't have know. no way of measuring this. Right. I mean, we really, I mean if, we're, if we're being you know, full about this application, we don't know this for anything. Like, I don't know that that table is not sentient because sentience is not something that can be measured externally. Right, maybe the table is just 
choosing to withhold from expressing to you. Or maybe, you know, you can have sentience without thought. We can have. I don't know how that works. We can get. Or without, sorry, external uh, communication. Yeah, I mean, we, we can get some probabilistic guesses, but at the end of the day, you'll never truly know, and that comes down to some kind of yeah. skepticism and so, I mean, of My response is that, that that's just a bad metric. Like, I, I don't like consciousness as a metric for anything. I think we've gotten into that before a little bit. Um, well, but, well, let's put aside consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Just that the, either, about either way, though? this metric is right. Because well, what's the what, what's your you definition? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm I, mean, just I the think one that's the point. Questions. That's the point. I, you're, I think that sometimes when people talk about higher level intelligence or like general, yeah. um, without clearly defining metrics for how generalized something must be in order to meet that threshold, you're just putting consciousness in different words. Because what what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, so. I think that Searle would also say that um, – man, I'm making all these claims. But my <laughs> guess would be that he would say that the guy in the Chinese box does not – is not intelligent either. He's just performing actions that have been printed out on some kind of table and doesn't mm-hmm. understand. Like that's actually what the – I think the concept in the paper is, is what is it to like – understand the semantics of something what is it to understand meaning yeah. does he have all the syntactic rules of chinese yes can he produce the characters yes does chat gpt produce tokens that you know to most humans in a sequence appear like english but does it actually understand the english language uh no and or chinese and then the argument can go even further like well that's because it's never seen a box before or it's never seen um i don't know some province of china and then people are like, well, let's say you have a chat GPT, but you attach it like a camera feed and you attach it in a, a microphone and you give it the ability to sense like a human does. Mm-hmm. And it, you give it all the rules that when it sees a picture like this, do that, you know. The problem is, is that at the end of the day, I don't think that people would say that that is either conscious or intelligent. They would well, just say, oh, it's just a machine following its rules. And it doesn't actually understand. That's what yeah, people care I about. Think this is they what feel I, like they understand. This is, this is what I mean by guilty until proven innocent. Because yeah. I think I could describe to a lot of people a machine which has, as you say, all the perceptual inputs that a person does, has maybe let's give it a physical body with perceptual inputs, that nerves that go to the brain, everything, and say, I don't know what's happening there. I just stuck some kind of like fancy new neural net and I just trained it. And you can't tell the difference between that and a human. And I think a lot of people would be very reticent to say that that is thinking, even though you have no reason not to. Yeah, I mean, my, we have that, uh, what, what's the effect called? Uncanny Valley? Yeah. When something behaves like us but isn't us. I think it's just some kind of internalized xenophobia, like from maybe when we, that we evolved, because that's how a species, it's good for a species to have that, is to fear things that don't look like it. Um and to run away from predators and yeah. eat or whatever. And well, th- that would be my guess is why it really rubs people the wrong way because, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think – oh, sorry. No, but I, I think there's also the possibility that like when I give this thought experiment and I'm saying like it behaves exactly like a human, that's not likely, right? Or at least right. that's not what we're – what we seem to be doing now. Because the mistakes that they make, when when AI today makes a mistake, is very unlike human mistakes. Like, we make mistakes, too. We make perceptual errors. Maybe you thought something was a cat and it's actually a bear. Um, And it was just a really tiny bear, really far away. I don't know. This is a random example. But, like, 
you make errors that kind of make intuitive sense, especially semantically. Like, well, of course they do. We we are the ones who make the errors. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and AI makes deeply different errors. Yeah. AI makes the kind of errors where you can overlay a hardly visible like difference in pixels, and suddenly that's not a bear, that's a cat. Even when to us it still registers as super bear-like. Um, and so I think that's a big factor that we assume that there's there's something like fundamentally different happening under the hood if those are the kind of errors that it's making. But I think there's also the related question of just because something's fundamentally different, does that mean that it's not thinking? Like, is there a way to be thinking that's just different and that's not not thinking? It's yeah, just different. I wanted to get back to this because we never really did pin down intelligence or thinking mm-hmm. or understanding. These things which are all... I mean, I, I think we, they're really hard to define, I think. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it would be a good breakthrough if we just decided yeah. something. Um, but it, it's something to wonder about. Uh, this, I'm not going to claim credit for this question because I you talked about it before we decided to record today. Uh, mm-hmm. The question of what sorts of thinking are there? I, it's very hard as a human to imagine a thinking other than our own, but maybe... Would artificial intelligence yeah. think like us? Is that something we should even be considering? Yeah, I think that the, the question, maybe to clarify a little bit, as mm-hmm. it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I interpret this as, you know, is AI, is a, a, a artificial general intelligence going to end up thinking more or less like we do? Or is it going to be a different genre of thought? Like, does such a thing exist? Is that... Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that... Genre is an interesting yeah. way. To put that. Well, I think it's it's interesting because there's certain I mean, to be clear, we're not gonna answer this question today. Like this is just sort of vague speculation. But um I don't I don't think it's a possible question to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we can wonder. Well maybe maybe one day we'll have empirically answered it. Um Yeah. I guess if, I should if say possible find. at this moment. Yeah, yeah. Um but I I think that there's a question of what kinds of things are necessary for thought. And so if we're talking at the higher level, like is logic necessary for thought? This is something that maybe AI can't even overcome given the way we've, you know, built AI. But, like, there are aspects of thought or, or thinking of oneself as a self, as a singular unit, things like that, which are very central to how we think. But, I, you know, we don't know if that's necessary for thought to be occurring. Right. I mean, I'd like to be able to think that if something is thinking, I could ask it for some kind of logical justification for why it's thinking that. But mm-hmm. um, that's kind of an old assumption in philosophy, and the more, at least, I think mo- most people go about most of their days with most of their ideas just coming from their environment and don't have much logical justification for. Like, most people will say... Yeah, we're, we're very good at post-talk That's not trying to... Right, and... I, well, you no, know, I'm there, not excluded been, from this. This been, isn't a superiority thing. Like, there's some kind of people who logically no, no, justify everything. No, there have been, everything. like, I think studies to this effect where people do, like, small little tasks, like playing, like, rock, paper, scissors, or whatever. And when you ask them for a justification, they come up with all kinds of post-talk reasoning. Definitely. That doesn't necessarily match, like, the probabilities of, like, what they're actually doing. Right. Um, and so in that way, I'd say it doesn't seem like logic is super necessary for a lot of the things we do. And then there's a whole aspect of, like, emotional thinking, intuitive thinking, these things which seem very nebulous and maybe, I don't know if this would upset scientists or talking about these things because I know that they recognize that they exist, but to like equate them with thinking or I don't know because a a lot of times people will use it as like a way to say, oh, if we, if everything is just computation, if 
if we're just the same as a machine, then, you know, where's all the intuition? Where's the art of life? Where's the mystique? Like, well, I think it's, that, that it's very clearly contrast. that very clearly can occur in AI. Like we have AI that is creating art. It's not doing so perfectly. Of course, it's based on what oh, it's seeing. Many people like, would argue that that's not art. I think for the same inherent reason that yeah, okay, the, right. the, like, the, the, the Searle would say that that's not understanding. They would say, oh, oh it's okay. just getting it's into just the copying. definitions of art. But right. I mean, this real, is a whole. This could be talked about for. Yeah, yeah. I think the ethics of AI art are a separate thing and have to do with like how we monetize art and that's that's a different question but i do think i I would define it as art it's producing something which is you know visual art it is visually pleasing it is different than what is produced before it's based on it but so is every other artist uh right i i agree with you i think that the intuition people have is that um it doesn't you know act with feeling it doesn't have an intent it doesn't have mm-hmm. these but experiences that maybe I, I, if I would I'm, say yeah. I would say I think you're not even thinking far enough outside the box because mm-hmm. if the question is is it going to be like humans I think we have we we don't have trouble like imagining an an artificial intelligence that thinks the pretty much the same as us but is like less emotional or is like less invested cares less is less intuitive but what if it's like a genuinely different type of thought this is why I use the word genre what if it is thought that does not have a singular self as its kind of central, you know, when when we think there is a thinker, a singular thinker, what if that's not necessary for thought? What if it's much more distributed? What if it says multiple things? What if, I'm not not sure if we think, like, I will think in terms of conversation sometimes. Right, but, like, that's, I think that's different than having fundamentally distributed self. Yeah, um... Well, I, I think we do do that. It's just like it's not – we don't feel like it's one thing, but we exist and we Maybe live in a society. Maybe this is a question of how, how we each I'm, think, I need to say we live in a society in every episode. Yeah, I, we live in a society. You're not going to have difficulty <laughs> getting there. Uh-huh. As in, in a network where we have all these individual intelligent agents and we talk to each other. And what does it mm-hmm. result in? We have Twitter, Reddit. Um, the other greatest <laughs> well, yeah, achievements but, but, but of mankind. But what if, what if so. AI's thought is not thought like our thought, but is thought like what happens on large social forums? Yeah, like as one yeah. being. But yeah. I'd say we could just redefine that. You know, we're all just one in one ecological structure. I know, but I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to push the boundaries. It's like it's it's not just like a cold emotionless person, but like something which thinks differently, or right. like its thought looks like something different. I think that it it. My guess would be that it'll be different. I think it would be unlikely that we could approximate something just because, I mean, neuroscience is a hard enough time understanding how our brain works to approximate all the parts this, that make a human. Yeah, this and is, then e- each thing might take like 18 years to actually train, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a long time. Yeah, I, I think this is something where I would hoped we would talk a little bit about AI as a model for the brain because one thing that I've been consistently shocked in learning more about this through, like, my research areas is that it's shockingly similar. Like, often, you know, and these are people aiming to make um, AI that is a model for the brain, but they don't have to try crazy hard. Like, you don't have to be going in the way we did with CNNs and making every layer similar to, like, a layer in the brain and matching things up structurally, that there's there's some research where they're just training things and it solves it mathematically very similar to the way that the brain is solving it. Like your brain is doing some certain equation with – and it's not mapped like neuron to neuron or layer to layer. But like it's doing the same math. And you can pull out maybe certain layers of whatever neural network you've trained and say, hey, that looks – that's doing the same exact math. 
really? this part of the brain. Yeah. And Maybe in our show notes you could put some. Yeah, yeah. I'll add some because I, I think this this is something that really I thought was crazy. I, I mentioned this and people, you know, someone I was talking to who's in neuroscience is like, oh, this, I mean, what else? And I'm like, this is this blew my mind because it seems an indication to me that, you know, thought happens in, in a way that is similar, even without like, you know, architecture to make it similar. When you give it a task, it does the task the same way as the brain sometimes. Um, and I think the reason that this person I was talking to <laughs> didn't seem to think of it as crazy is that it's the most efficient way to do things. Like the brain is solving problems in a way that's incredibly efficient. And when you try to train a neural net to solve the same problem, it ends up doing a lot of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is something that I've been thinking about as, you know, maybe AI won't look so different. Like maybe we have ended up in kind of a, a, a niche area of intelligence where we are doing things pretty efficiently. And so if we want computers to be doing the same tasks, this of course is different if we're training AI to be doing totally different tasks, but if we're training it to be doing the same kind of tasks that we do day to day, maybe there will be a lot more similarities than we expect. Yeah. Well, uh, on that note, I do want to um, ask a little bit more, you know, putting artificial intelligence aside, putting a bookend on the podcast. Something that I w- wonder about is you you talk a lot about tasks and goals and problems. Um, is that just an inherent part of intelligence, do you think? I, that intelligence I, I is a goal-oriented say, thing? I would say so, yeah. I think we have a tendency to think of like, especially if we're, you know, academic or philosophical areas, the idea being like, well, just thinking about something, is it, it's not goal-oriented necessarily. But I think that that's kind of not really what most of thought is. Most of thought is, I mean, even even that kind of thought is you take in a stimulus and you produce an action. And I think it really makes a lot more sense to frame everything we're doing in that context because that is everything that we're doing. Sometimes we uh, focus a lot on that middle step, the processing that we're doing in between stimulus and action. And we think of that as like the main meat of it. But ultimately, you still need a stimulus and you still need an action. Like that tends to be the pathway. Okay. And just for someone who's not familiar with neuroscience, could you talk a little bit more about these terms like stimulus, action, goal, how they relate to each other? I mean, action and goal are are what you think they are. They're what you do. Um, And stimulus is just anything that's coming in, right? So there's some in. Anything that's you're you're perceiving. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you see something, you hear something, you feel something. That is the stimulus and you are, you are, or the thing that you are hearing or feeling or seeing is the stimulus. And you are getting some kind of perceptive input from that. And then some processing happens, and then you do something. And the reason I think that, you know, we think of the processing as— And, and the doing something is toward a goal. Sure. I mean, you, you do something. Well, we wouldn't say it's intelligent if it just does a random thing every time, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the, the actions it's ought to It's doing some follow, maximizing yeah. some function. Something, yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason I think that those are the important things to, to focus on is that that's— Everything we do. And we tend to think of the processing part as, like, the important part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say, like, that is the important part. That's where you map from stimulus to action. But it's not like it's divorced from those two. You can't have just processing in a vacuum. Um, right. I mean, there would be nothing to process without yes. input. Yes. And the reason I'm, I'm – stimulus obviously is important. We've covered that. And I think the reason I think action is so important is because that's the only step both in AI and in people – 
that that changes things, right? Like evolutionarily, you know, you saw a tiger, you run, you're going to survive. You see a tiger, you don't run, maybe you're not going to. And that's what ends up, you know, how we've fine-tuned and trained our brains is Mm -hmm. kind of through that process. Mm -hmm. Just like with AI, the way they fine-tune their weights, their processing step is through that process. Everything needs an an action. Everything needs a result. Right. Um, Something that people on the internet worry about when they hear this goal speak is they're like, what if the AI's goal is to accumulate yeah. power and yeah, kill yeah. everyone? Or even more importantly, what if what if its goal just isn't quite aligned? Like, not that it's evil and wants power, right. but, like, the, the classic example is, you know, it wants to, you know, you give it a task of, like... The paperclip. Yeah, thing. the paperclip maximizer. Like, I, I let's say don't get why that. you give it the task of maximizing paperclips, and then it says, all right, now my goal is to tear down every atom in the universe and use that to make paperclips. Right. So power becomes an intermediate step right. to so, be able to maximize, truly maximize paperclips. So here are my initial thoughts. One, mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's anything much different than just worrying about people getting evil ideas and choosing to maximize evil goals. I, well, I, don't, I don't know that The that's difference true. is that, okay, we cre- accidentally create some superhuman godlike thing which can do anything it wants, which I think being afraid of that is not I, – I get it, but it's kind of like, well, if that happens, then – there's not going to be much we can do anyway. And <laughs> I, mean, I feel yeah, like we should just... That's one approach, yeah. I, yeah. I think we should do a separate episode, honestly, on yes. AI existential fears and AI like safety. Yes. Um, I think that's, right. that's, I that's, a, that's mention, a whole new topic. I, I wanted to mention lot, like but... ethics and, you know, if you put in biased data, there's plenty of things that we're not talking about right now. We're just talking about yeah. the pure yeah, yeah. technology. Y- yes. And, yeah. and trying to understand it. But there, there's plenty of ethical concerns. That yeah, <laughs> there definitely are. Um, for sure. But so the, the doomsday stuff, which is more of the sci- science fiction thing that it, mm-hmm. I think what hooks people on AI as they first hear about it is there's some kind of f- deep fear within us which says like, oh God, what if it turns on us? And that's what all the media is about AI and mm-hmm. movies. And, um, and So there's this thesis that um, a, a sufficiently intelligent thing can choose an arbitrary, sufficiently arbitrary goal. I'm not really, I don't understand it that well how they phrase it, Um, but it's in these like doomsday AI circles. They believe in this and their fear is that not even that it's explicitly evil, but that it could just choose a random goal. Like it wants to build a lot of toilets and then it harvests everyone. Or a goal that's not like understandable to us. Right. I think. Yeah, I mean... I, again, I think we can get more into that concern on a, on another episode, but I do think that that is highly related definitely to the question of what kind of thought is general intelligence going to have. Is it going to think similarly to us, similarly enough that we can reason with it and feel confident that, you know, the reasoning is occurring the same way? Or is it going to think differently enough that, like, it's it's more of a wild card? Um, and, of course, there's, you know, the facet of deception. Maybe maybe it does think really differently or have really different goals but, you know, act as though it doesn't. But I do think it's a very related question because if we can feel very confident that it, the type of thought that's happening is similar to ours, I think that makes it a little less scary. Like, maybe it still could be evil, maybe it could still be misaligned, but it'll be misaligned in a way that's predictable, understandable to us, at least, that we can reason through it. Whereas if its mode of thought is entirely different, if the errors keep being errors that are that are really foreign to us, I think that there's potential for more fear there and more justified fear there. Interesting. I mean, uh, my intuition is saying, it's kind of a dumb thought, but it's saying, you know, 
I'm Jewish, so I could have been born in like the 600s in the Middle Ages in Europe and been like eaten by rats or something, but I was born today, so I feel like there has to be something pretty cool for the reason why I was born in this era. Why, and why, the reason, why? I think, will be AI. So. Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> That's my justification for supporting I, it and I, I not worrying about I just want to parse this sentence. <laughs> I agree that AI is cool. What does you being Jewish have to do with that? Um, it's not a religious reason. I'm just saying, like, we okay, we let's put aside that. We could have been born a million years ago. We're on some savanna, and then we get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger okay. when we're six or something. Yeah, oh, oh, is, but it, we're is born this just today. a like we could have been born at a time when like Judaism wasn't? No, respected? forget Judaism. Is, is forget the, the no, argument. Okay, I is just, that, why did you say that? <laughs> well, because I'm just saying there are unfortunate circumstances in which I could have right. been born into. I've, yes. been, I've had a very fortunate life, so I feel like to give back to the world, you know. If I can Are you going to go into AI, AI research? I think so. I mean, oh, you've decided I, on that now. I've not decided on oh, anything. Okay. It's very cool to I me. Know you're I know thinking about it. It's I could exciting. support it in maybe not doing direct research. I could mm-hmm. make media about it or help with the ethics or I don't know. I mean, there's a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. Because AI, the actual doing research. scientific things every day does not exactly appeal to me. It's a little, I, I don't. I never enjoyed science in high school, but things like that. I really like learning about it and like YouTube videos or <laughs> podcasts, wink, wink. I guess it's audio only, but I winked. Um, he, he did wink. <laughs> um, but yeah, I never enjoyed actually doing it in the labs. And maybe that's saying something bad about science in school. Or I just thought, I mean, you know, okay, it's I, 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 This is a tangent, but I, I don't think that like you're – like high school lab classes necessarily representative of every avenue you have in research. Like there are a bunch of other avenues you can, if you don't like like sitting at a bench pipetting shit, like that's not the only way to do science. There's plenty of, like you can have, you know, plenty of exciting coding research and like computer science research. Right. I shouldn't have said code. Computer science research where you're just coding all day. You're not like pipetting. You're not whatever you hated. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so artificial intelligence research, you you have some experience in, right? I mean, I, I'm not doing research that is developing AI. I'm using Applying. AI in, in my research in neuroscience okay. right now. Well, just it's good for people to know that things like this exist. It's not just yeah, like if yeah, you join like, AI research, you need to invent some crazy new thing. You I can, mean, I, I, I'm not doing AI research. Like that's – let's make that clear. Research with AI. Research that involves <laughs> AI, yeah. So what I'm doing currently, like I'm, I'm hardly doing it. I, I don't mm-hmm. pipette stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm basically coding all day every day. Um, well, I almost, know that that's a yeah. thing in, and under neuroscience, but I'm happy it is. I feel like yeah. both, both fields could benefit a lot. So how do I you think, feel about wrapping up the show or do you have something more to say? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, are there any big takeaways we should? <laughs> I think it's good to I, yeah. leave it on an open yeah, end I think for so. the – because there's just a lot to open, wonder about like, here. Yeah. Wow. And there's probably <laughs> – the more people who are thinking about – this or yeah. could help out in some way. Yeah, I think this is thing. yeah, perhaps that's a that's a good way to end it that like this is this is all in baby stages. Both neuroscience, AI and AI for neuroscience especially. Like this is all very new. There's so much more to be done. There's so much we haven't explored. And I I know you ta- touched on like a little bit of, you know, justified pessimism when it comes to like hardware and things like that and like what the limits are but I think that an, an, a really optimistic thing to look at also is that there's so much we haven't done like there's so much that is you know still left to explore even with the constraints that we already have right uh yeah my, my instinct is always the pessimism and a little bit of skepticism because I think with all the hype comes a lot of charlatans and people looking yeah. to just make money and so you know be careful 
But this has been the Thought Experiment Podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. 